Discord. Hey everybody, this is Chad from I Want to Know, here with a good friend of mine, Dana Johnson. He is the founder and owner of Destiny Martial Arts Academy, which is a Taekwondo Academy. Um, he's done some military service, and I got a couple things I want to talk to him about. How's it going, Dana? Good. Good. How are you doing? Excellent. Good. We should start with uh, what just happened to you. Oh. <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> I'm 100% sure, because I got a lot to say about this. Yeah. Um what do you want to know? <laughs> the kidney stones. Mm. So kidney stones. tell everybody what kidney stones feel like. Well, they say it's it's the equivalent of a woman having a baby uh, going through oh, the... I'll give you a really quick suggestion. Yeah. When your wife's in labor, yeah. don't tell her, that, oh, I know what you're going through. Yeah, no. I felt this before. <laughs> no, I would never do that. I would just say... I did. I'll just shake my head and go, sure, okay. But yeah, it's it's a it's a rough it's a rough feeling. It's a terrible thing, actually. It's not very much fun at all. No, not when, at all. When did it hit you? Uh, well, the first initial time it hit me was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, laying in bed. Had no idea what, what happened. Writhing in pain. Never felt anything like it before. I thought I actually had more other problems down there, if you know what I mean, because yeah. it's a referred pain. Right. So <clears throat> automatically I thought, okay, well, I should get this checked out. This is something serious. Yeah. After about two hours, I said, <laughs> I, I hopped in my vehicle, went to the hospital. And nice. First thing they say is, um, oh, you must have kidney stones. Yeah. And I was like, that's impossible. And then, well. <laughs> sure enough, you had kidney stones. Yeah, I went in. I went in. I was waiting. And I was in the waiting room for about an hour and a half. Yeah. They sent me in. They said, you'll be fine. Because as you know, it kind of went away. The pain went away after a while because the spasm. Yeah. It comes and goes. Mine didn't the first <laughs> time. Mine literally lasted for five hours. And then Oof. I finally had to call a cab because I couldn't barely walk. Took a cab up to Peter Lougheed and then I crawled into emergency room. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It's terrible. It was a stuck stone though. Yeah. So it got caught halfway down right. and that was it. Yeah. They, they sent me home because they said, oh, you must have passed it. So two hours later, I go back home and it hits me again. Oh. I came back and they dilated everything and they said okay yeah after a ct scan they said it's now in your bladder so yeah after a couple of days gone and then it was a series of other um i guess appointments for other things that i had to get done so, you know, ultrasounds whatever yeah after every you know image of some type an x-ray or something you know you have kidney stones you know you have kidney stones you know? and i'm like <laughs> I now know that. So yeah. that's what sort of initiated the whole thing. And then they said, okay, you've got one in particular is getting pretty big. You got to get it out of there. It's growing. Yeah. And uh, I just went for my uh, first surgery uh, Wednesday of last week. And did they do a basket retrieval? I do a what? Sorry. It's called a basket retrieval. Yeah. 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 I think, I think is what it was is I had one that was six centimeters in my yeah. left kidney and they lasered it and then started sort of tearing it apart, breaking it down and, as you know, there's fragments left over, and then um, it, it was terrible. Uh, they put stents in me that I could remove four days later. I did, yeah, but I had a reaction to that, so okay. I, I ended up back in emergency surgery uh, on the Sunday. Yeah, and uh, everything had to be redone. Yeah, and uh, they they tear you up so bad tearing the stones out. That's why the stint has to stay in there exactly. is to so that you don't swell shut exactly. and then never yeah. pee again. That's right. And then uh, when I had my stint done. Um, the, the surgeon came in afterwards and he, he walked up. He's like, Oh, when you get home, just, just pull it out in the shower. 
And I, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then the nurse starts shaking her head behind the doctor, like, don't do that. Don't right. do that. Yeah. So the doctor left and the nurse comes in and says, uh, okay, this is what you got to do. Go in and have a nice hot shower. And while you're in the shower, just get nice and relaxed, maybe even have a beer. Right. And then just, she said like lawn more it out, like give it a, a ripcord job. So I literally was in the shower so long that, uh, um, I, I, I was running out of hot water. I didn't know what I was going to do. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I'm like, I just got to man up. I just got to do it. And it's not nearly as bad as what you think it's going to be, but it's not very comfortable. It, it, it was simple. That was the simplest part for me. Yeah. Was pulling it out. Yeah. I, out of the whole ordeal, right from Wednesday until, you know, Sunday when I went, that was the easiest thing to do. I did a nice and slow watch a lot of YouTube videos of people doing it. Okay, and I just started yeah. to, you know, gradually. <laughs> and it was easy. Uh, and I thought, you know, victory is mine. You know, here we go. Back to life, back to normal. An hour, an hour after that, it just kicked back in again. And I had wow. blood clots and huge, uh, reaction. Inflammation. Yeah, it was yeah. reaction. It was, yeah. it was going into spasm again. That's how I ended up back in the hospital again. So yeah. yeah. fun. Yeah, no, it wasn't. It was, it was, it was terrible. So, but, oh well. Uh, we yeah, it's part of getting older, I guess. Ah, oh, come on. There's a lot of guys <laughs> half our age actually <laughs> are getting pro- getting these things. You know, it's all true. all to do with diet, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it really comes down to. So. That's the one thing. So, my buddy Dr. James, um, when I had it the very first time, I was probably it was before I met Nicole. So it's got to be like 15 years ago. Right. Um, I talked to him, and he's like, "Wash them out." That's all you got to do is just loads and loads of water uh, with a little bit of lemon inside right. of it. So I was drinking four to five liters of water a day. Wow. But it was so much water that I didn't even have room for food anymore. Right. So the, um, but I went like six years before I had another kidney stone attack. Mm-hmm. And so when I had them full at the time, they only took out the one that was stuck. And they said, you're too tore up. We can't go back in for the rest. We'll have to wait, talk to an um uh, urologist and a nephrologist and then we can deal with it from there and so that went six years and no attacks again and then they hit again and that was yeah that was miserable Uh, the last attack i had was i want to say about three years ago and it was in the middle of the night woke up screaming in pain that hot knife from the side i'm like cole we gotta go we gotta go just (laughs) out of nowhere right just well, pops out of nowhere. that time when I went into the hospital, the doctors actually told me that uh, they believe it's the cause of a lot of car accidents, that people will be driving, it'll, pain will hit them out of nowhere, yeah. and then they'll swerve off the road just because they're, they're dying in pain. And a lot of them die, and they don't know that it was caused by kidney stones. But, you know, when that <laughs> first time it hits you, you're like... Holy Dinah, that and, is but it's the, fast. Yeah. It's quick. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's like a hot knife in the yeah. belly. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, I don't wish it upon you again. Hopefully, well, you get it all solved. I hope so too. But I mean, you never know, right? I mean, yeah. these things can, like you said, they can they can reoccur whenever they want to. So, the nephrologist told me that if you're a stonemaker, you're a stonemaker for life. Yeah, so you gotta do too. all the stuff, all the stuff to not create it. Right. Yeah. Let's uh, let's dig into Destiny Martial Arts. Sure. The uh, so how long have you been running now? Oh, we started. <clears throat> I think we're on our. I'm going to say our seventh year, possibly. Yeah. We started in, uh, I believe it was October of 2013. So That sounds familiar. So my, my math isn't great, but yeah, we started out in Balzac in that little small community hall out there. And then oh, we, so that was even before we knew about yep, you then. Yep. So I didn't meet you until you were using the Legion. Right. Yeah. So we'd been in the uh, Balzac Community Center for two months, maybe yeah. before that. Then we get into the, the Legion and then... Um, surprisingly, we were able to get into Genesis Place and been there ever since. So. How many students? 
Uh, for the Airdrie location alone, yeah. we're looking at about we're we're over a hundred. That's sure. insane. Yeah, yeah. You guys run a really good class. I um, I have lots of friends because I ran submit self defense, right. teaching self defense, and people come to me and say, "Hey, I need something for my kids mm-hmm. or whatever." I'm like, "Go to uh, DMA." Yeah. Thanks. The the um, Parrot Brothers, your two black belts, and I think you've got quite a few now. Black belts? Uh, we don't really have. <clears throat> we don't have a lot. Um, yeah, Jory and Colin Parrot, they were with me from day one. Uh, and I'm what I mean by day one is even back in my old club, the Tempest Martial Art Era. They were six and ten years old when they started with me, so they've been with me ever since. But uh, um, we have um, uh, Michelle Evans, who happens to be my girlfriend yeah uh she's on with us now she was a black belt in kickboxing when she came to me about five years ago and uh she got up through the ranks pretty quick to first degree she's a second degree now world champion uh taekwondoist wow um <clears throat> we have um there's some other black belts that have sort of just f- sort of came out of nowhere type of thing and said hey we want to join your club and they're like yeah absolutely and some of them were ITF Taekwondo practitioners. Some were WTF. What, what's the difference between was it IKO and WTF? I, ITF and WTF. Okay. Yeah. So uh, ITF Taekwondo was the original style of Taekwondo. Yeah. Uh, general Choi uh, Choi Hung, he his name was. He was a Korean general officer um, many decades ago, and yeah. uh, he started he started Taekwondo. He was actually the one who named Taekwondo Taekwondo. Okay. So people think that you know the name Taekwondo was thousands of years old. Is not. Yeah. Not at all. Uh, this would be what in the forties or fifties? Uh, he started. He he named Taekwondo on April eleventh, nineteen fifty-five. Okay. Yeah, and then um, eleven years or ten years, eleven years later, he actually started the International Taekwondo Federation yeah. in Korea, yeah. um, and uh, spread worldwide. The WTF uh, being World Taekwondo Federation, or today they call it just World Taekwondo. They don't even call it Federation. Yeah. For whatever reason, I don't know. But anyway, they just changed it, just dropped one letter. Yeah. Um, they started in 1973. Okay. So a lot of the WTF um, grandmasters, if you will, in today's day and age, were originally ITF yeah. members that had served under General Choi in the Korean military. Oh, wow. Yeah, so there was a big split. There was a big political split in Korea at the time. And that's all it was? It's not a technique thing? It's not a teaching thing? It It, it is now. Um, <clears throat> the WTF wanted to, uh, they wanted to have, I, I, it was more of a, this is more of a political problem okay. that, that they were having back then. Um, General Choi was uh, gaining a lot of popularity in the military, and the, the then president of Korea at the time um, didn't like General Choi because General Choi didn't like some of the policies and things that were coming down through the government through yeah. through the president. So he is, is it looked at like like a like a military thing? So the more students he has, the bigger the army he has. Yeah, well, it was designed specifically at first. It was designed for the military. Yeah. General Choi was was tasked to um, to form a martial art and to train the Korean soldiers. Exactly, cool. exactly what he did. He was, he yeah. was mandated to go out and, you know, teach all these soldiers. And yeah. he had a certain period of time to give everybody a black belt. And he had trained tens of thousands of, you know, Korean soldiers to get to uh, to the black belt level. Yeah. It was pretty impressive. There's pictures and videos of it, old, old pictures from, and videos from way back. Yeah, yeah. You can see the it. The 8 in, mil or uh, even older than that. Yeah. Yeah. Like old. Crazy. <laughs> but it's it was, it was pretty impressive. Yeah. And then he just took it to the civilian market and then just expanded it globally and uh, 
that's there you go. Cool. You and know. so when did you start doing it? Or who um, did, maybe we start with your lineage. Who did you train under? I trained, I started in Nova Scotia in 1984. Um, my instructors, uh, their names were Cameron and Lockie McCrory, um, a couple of guys from Cape Breton. Um, they, to be honest with you, I don't even know um, their lineage. I know that their instructors at one point were Korean as well. Um, but I'm not entirely sure what the Where names were from. Yeah. exactly. Um, but I got, I got up to the black belt level there in Nova Scotia and joined the military and then got back into it. And I actually started all over again. I started back at white belt again. And, um, after the military. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah I decided to bring myself back and, and start all over again sort of, it's a humbling thing if you will, but, yeah. um, yeah, I, I did that. And yes. have you heard about the jujitsu guys doing that? So there's, oh, yeah. there's a huge lineage of guys that had black belts, but because it's evolving so fast, they've looked back and go, yeah, there's guys way ahead of me. I'm going to step back to brown or purple because um, I just don't know what these new guys know. You look right. at guys like Eddie Bravo yeah. and, and well, even what the Gracies are still yeah. doing, they're constantly evolving. This. Garcia and all those guys are... Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Those and guys it blows are. my mind when you see these young guys. There's a bunch of uh, like break dancers that go into jiu-jitsu because they just got all that ground game, all that, that movement, yeah, and um, it'll oh yeah, maneuver mm-hmm. their body weight as fast as they can. Athletic, yeah. everything. <clears throat> They're destroyers. Yeah. So, so where did you do your second black belt then? Was it in Nova Scotia as well? No. Um, so uh, once I left uh, Nova Scotia for the military, um, I started taekwondo training back in Quebec, uh, in Elmer, Quebec. Actually, again under a guy named William uh, William Fu, Wing mm-hmm. Fu. Um, I didn't really get that far with his group because shortly after that. I moved out here to Alberta and, uh, I got hooked up with, um, another Taekwondo group, local group actually out of here. And, um, I just continued my training and I advanced pretty quick. Uh, simple fact is that you were a black belt originally. Exactly. So I, I, I learned and promoted a little bit faster than the average guy coming in off the street. Um, and, and I wasn't looking for a quick promotion. I wasn't looking for, you know, it's just certain, okay, you're, you know, you're far more advanced than this guy here. I mean, so yeah. I'm like, well, I don't want the rank. I don't need it. And they're like, no, I'll take it. Yeah. You know? Um, so I, I believe it was 19, I believe it was 1991 yeah. when I, um, 91, 92, when I got my first degree again. Yeah. And then I just, obviously I didn't relinquish my black belt for that. I just kept going up, up the ranks. Yeah. Second degree, third degree, fourth degree and on. And what are you now? I'm a seventh. seventh wow. Degree. Yeah. So what was the purpose for you do? Is it just a challenge? Like what was the benefit of you doing Taekwondo? Well, I, that's a long drawn out story. I'll try to make it as simple as I can. Um, we got a couple hours. It's all good. I, I, I grew, well, I grew up on a farm and in Nova Scotia and not a lot of opportunity out there. I mean, you're, you're, if you're a farmer's son, you're, this is what you do. I, right. I, I, there's a lot of in my, I guess you want to call it my DNA, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Um, a lot of adventure, a lot of intrigue, a lot of, you know, wanting to know what's out in the world type of thing. And I, you know, I, that came down from my father, you yeah. know, he was the world traveler kind of guy. He was a jujitsu practitioner back in the day himself when he was really? in the military. And, oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I, I learned and got influenced from him quite a bit about martial arts. And martial arts. Yeah. And just the closest, the closest town that offered martial art training was Anaganish, and that was a 20 mile drive from where I was. So, <laughs> so you can imagine this 14 year old, um, <clears throat> you know, hitchhiking 
Yeah. At 14 years old to Anakin ish. But the thing is, everybody knows everybody, right? So, yeah. I mean, it's, Someone's you, like, oh, there's Dana. That's crazy. He's probably going to train. Exactly. Let's go take Every, you could never get away with that here nowadays. No. But, You'd um, end up in someone's trunk. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, I, I've got some stories on that. But anyway, uh, people that are picking me up and whatever, and it's just, some, thanks thanks for the, the lift. And yeah. You know, I had to get out of the car. So, it's a good kind of thing. It's too much booze or whatever, but on their breath. But, um, but that's what did it. Um, yeah. I wanted to do Taekwondo. I, I'll tell you, one of the biggest things that influenced me was, um, you know, I'd read a lot of books, you know, uh, Bruce Lee, Yeah. you know, watching some movies or whatever. Who, our guys our age always had Bruce Lee on the back. Absolutely. That's who we wanted you know, to that's be, the right? Thing, the big posters <laughs> up on the wall and everything. And, and yeah. I, uh, my father actually came home with a, a VCR one day. I had no clue what this thing was. Yeah, I know. That's how old I am. <laughs> it's okay. So, I'm on the same boat. My dad brought a beta home. <laughs> oh, no. I was like, beta? Oh, it was an upgrade, huh? Yeah. So, yeah, we had the old VHS, and he, he, he rented it. He didn't even buy it. He just rented it with some VHS movies, and, and he ended up getting just a whole pile of these videos these you know movies and yeah. some of them were you know enter the ninja and and all these you know <laughs> martial art movies and i thought huh well that's pretty impressive and yeah. of course you know i'm 14 years old and i'm bouncing off the walls and you kicking know, everything you can yeah, I'm, I'm trying to <laughs> jump over cows in, in the in, nice. you know in, in the yard and whatever so um i immediately get on the yellow pages and i looked up you know Martial arts. pages, holy crap, are we dating I know, ourselves? that's what I'm saying, I know, I know, we're ancient, but that's what I did, and, and I found, there was, <clears throat> there was a, um, a kung fu group, and a kudo group, and a taekwondo group. That's it, eh? That was it, and that was offered at the <laughs> university, and yeah. I was sitting there, karate, you know, aikido, taekwondo, oh, <laughs> oh, that sounds pretty mean, that's what I want to do. That's beautiful. And, and that was it. Yeah, that's that what got me hooked into it. The uh, what got me hooked on martial arts is my dad used to take me to the drive-in th- theater in Surrey, and we would watch Bruce Lee and Jackie Chan movies. Young Bo, um, uh, what's his name? Um, the big guy that hung around with Jackie Chan all the time, Sammo Hung. Sammo Hung. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that uh, that's what I grew up. That yeah. Every other weekend we were going down there watching. The, I don't know if you remember oh, what is it called the the big bully or something like that. It was the first. Uh, that's not the name of it. The, it's the big the, boss. The big boss. Yeah. Um, the the first movie that Jackie Chan did, where they did all like the the Wild West martial arts yep. thing going on. It was uh, it was a very very cool. And as awesome. a kid, I just I wanted to fight everybody. <laughs> Knew nothing, but I wanted yeah. to fight everybody. It's still awesome. It's yeah, still it awesome even to this day. I'll I'll put them on every once in a while. The newest ones, the um, uh, what's his name, the uh, the train Bruce Lee. Yep. Um, yep, man. Yep, man. Yeah. Um, those ones are amazingly yeah. done. It's yeah. beautiful. And I heard historically they're pretty accurate as well. The real deal. Yeah. That was the real deal. He, yeah. was, uh, he was forced to be reckoned with. Yeah. Scary to live back then during the war and everything that went on, going from like living like a king to being, um, you know, basically back down to peasant, no food, Survival. having to fight. That's Survival. it. Survival. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's very, very cool. So uh, you left Nova Scotia and went to Nova Scotia, right? Yeah, left Nova Scotia. And yeah. went into the military. The military, yeah. yeah. And how long did you do that? Uh, I was only in for, I believe, four years. Okay. Yeah. What did yeah. you do in the military? Uh, I was an infantry, infantryman. Yeah. I was with the 1st Battalion Royal Canadian Regiment. Um, I was based out of London, Ontario. Yeah. So 1st Battalion. Uh, did a stint over in Cyprus for six months with the UN. I uh, came back. I got on my jump course and uh, got my wings and then uh, actually joined on with the Canadian Airborne Regiment. 
Very cool. Yeah, so I was with the yeah, the Canadian Armor Regiment. Yeah. And why'd you leave? Did wasn't the career for you just a way out of getting getting out of Nova Scotia? It was yeah. I pretty much. In fact, I, I just had this conversation with my sister not long ago. I I said if you weren't part of an elite religious organization back home, or if you weren't, uh, uh, you know, if you weren't inheriting a farm, a, a very lucrative, you know, high money farm or something like that from your parents or something like that you were pretty much destined just to barely make it by and, um, you know, and complain about how your life is or how it isn't going. And, and that was it. And I, I just, I watched generations of, <clears throat> of people struggling back on the East coast. And, uh, and again, as getting back to what I was saying before about, you know, I, I, I have my, I have intrigue in my DNA. Yeah. So I'm, you know, my my dad has taught me, you know, told me about all his world travels and thing, and I'm sitting there going, hmm, you know, yeah, I think I want to do that. So, what better way to do it than join the military? Because right. when you join the military, you can, you know, you never know where you're going to end up. Yeah, but you're going to end up somewhere. Yeah, you know? yeah, you're not going to stick to a Canadian base. You're no, gonna be you're not going to be back. You know, milking cows on the farm. Yeah. You're going to be doing some other stuff. So that's exactly what I did. Um, but after being, you know, a few years in the military, I at the at the time. When I was in the military, they weren't really spending a lot of money on the troops and equipment, what have you. And uh, yeah. um, they were canceling a lot of our um, engagements. Uh, you know, we we wanted to keep current jumping out of airplanes. And sometimes they would say, oh, sorry, we just don't even have enough fuel to put in the planes oh. to get you in the air for you to keep current jumping. So yeah. it, it just, it just, <clears throat> it just snowballed, yeah. you know, into sitting there thinking, you know, we watch, not that I'm a warmonger, not that I, you know, I'm, I'm all about you know, shooting guns and yeah. killing. That's not who I am. Um, I do, I want to defend my country and I want to represent properly. Yeah. But I remember sitting in the uh, TV lounge in Petawawa on the base and uh, we were watching the first initial, um, if you want to call it the invasion, if you want, or the occupation, whatever they call it nowadays, but it was watching the uh, um, the U.S. Marines, yeah. twenty five thousand U.S. Marines that were rolling into Kuwait, ready to you know do an assault on Baghdad, and here we are, Special Forces unit. We're all sitting around eating Doritos and drinking cokes um, and going, "Why are we here? What are we doing? Yeah. Like, how come we're not getting our orders? Yeah. You know, twenty four hours notice to move. You're heading to Iraq. Right? No, no, you're not. So. <clears throat> it's a little a bit defeating when you're trained to Precisely. to do something yep. to, to help the world exactly. to show Canada yep. Canada's strengths, um, and then just you get to sit back. We, we were a force to be reckoned with in the First World War, the yeah. Second World War. You know, Korea. Yeah. And you know, as I said again, like as a younger person, I, I had that drive and motivation to get out there and do this. Yeah. As did thousands of other young guys my age. Yeah. And uh, as far as we were concerned, we were denied. So I, I had to make a decision. It's do I, you know, do I fulfill my desire to travel the world on my own, or am I just going to sit here, watch this on CNN, yeah. and do nothing with my Knowing life? Knowing that you had the ability that uh, was, what's the right word? You're being underutilized for what you were trained exactly. to do. Yep. Yeah. So that's uh, got to be frustrating. I made for a decision. Sure. I said I was done. That was it. <laughs> So what year was that? Who was uh, in charge of Canada at the time? Uh, I believe it was Mulroney. Um, Mulroney was, uh, he was the prime minister at that time. Um, and then after that was Chrétien, and Chrétien made it even worse, as yeah. far as I'm concerned. I mean, 
that's the general consensus with pretty much all the troops. They, for the amount of time that he was in, they, he just really just destroyed the military in, in all areas, not just in our department, but, you know, all land, sea, and air. I mean, that the funding was cut back. Remember, they actually called it the decade of darkness. Wow. That's what it was referred to under his uh, leadership. And yeah. you know what? I think uh, we're pretty well recognized as Canadians. Uh, our soldiers are probably some of the best trained soldiers in the world. One, we have some of the best terrain in the world to, mm-hmm. to train in. Um, <coughs> you know, we got every type of climate you can think of. I mean, go to the Okanagan, it's not very different than right. running in a desert. You know, we've got from as cold in the world to as hot in the world and as high and as low, the oceans, the lakes, the rivers. Yeah. we got everything. Uh, yeah, it's a shame that there's not more uh, done with the Canadian military. And again, I'm not a warmonger. I don't think we need to run off, but I think we've got some skill sets that the world could utilize way better than what we are. Yeah, we've we've proven that, as I said, in all the different great wars, as they call it, um, you know, the world wars, Korea, uh, even recently as Afghanistan. Yeah, um, we've we've been forced to forced to be reckoned with, and uh, uh, but the dynamics, the political sort of the geopolitical climate has changed quite a bit over the last you know ten twenty years. Things have changed dramatically. Yeah, um, wars are not necessarily fought, you know, enemy force and opposing force, whatever. You, it's all political now. Yeah. There's so much politics involved now. So I heard that in the U.S., the decision to go to war is never done by like a general or an admiral. It's done by a lawyer. A lawyer sits and like, can we legally do this? Can we, can we go in and do whatever you guys are planning to do right. and not end up in jail? Yeah, and they're like, yeah, right. okay, let's go get it done. Yeah. Or, no, 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 we can't do that. Or you got to say this or do this to make it work. And uh, that's defeating to think that a lawyer is in charge. Not that I'm against lawyers, but that's not the way the world should yeah. be run, right? No, that's, yeah, that's history. You get that's, that's again, it, it all comes down to politics. And again, you look at the, again, the geopolitical, you know, ramifications behind all that, plus, you know, damage control, doing risk assessments. And, yeah. and you know, they have to try to forecast an outcome and say, you know, so what are we willing to lose as far as soldiers go? And, yeah. you know, how much are we willing to invest into into war or whatever? I mean, the Americans have spent billions upon billions Crazy of dollars of money. in yeah. Afghanistan and Iraq. <clears throat> like, I mean, I think in the trillions now, actually. So wow. over those, yeah, since, since Iraq, the, the first Iraq war started in, in 1990. So yeah. crazy. The, um, I was listening to uh, Tim Kennedy, and he's a special forces guy out yep. of the, the U.S. He was a... Um, UFC fighter for UFC a long fighter, time, yeah. and yeah. Uh, then he re-enlisted after he was done his UFC career. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does a couple of TV shows now, I think. But he was talking about how the general population, the percentage of people that could actually pass to make it into special forces or even the militaries dropped off to almost nothing. Like there's nobody even physically available to fight anymore. So when they do the testing for special forces, you know, they would get a choice of, you know, this piece, this big of a piece of the pie, mm-hmm. and that pie is almost gone now so physically the north americans have have really defeated themselves like what's the point in invading none of us can get off the couch (laughs) anyways well and that's that's a lot of that's due to technology yeah um and what i mean by that is the fact that um the, the they're fighting proxy wars now through technology they're they're depleting financial resources in different countries they're if you destroy a country's economy you know, then you're the people are going to revolt. Yeah. Why would you and I go to war against a country when we can actually destroy them financially and let their own countrymen 
eat, eat themselves. Just right? create civil war and Correct. then you've got nothing to do with it. Then them. you can sit back and just twiddle your thumbs and laugh the whole way. And I think that's sort of not all the way it's going. It's not to- totally that way. But I yeah. mean, you, if you're dealing with, you know, um, if you're dealing with terrorism, you know, terrorist organizations like Al Qaeda or, or ISIS, you know, yeah. um, that's a little bit different because that's, you know, that's head to head battle. Yeah. Um, and, but they've still used methods of, um, defunding to wear these guys down. When ISIS first started getting involved in, into the, the terrorist game, if you want to call it that, yeah. um, they were a very small organization yeah. and because of their propaganda mill was so successful, they were able to get a lot of people to believe in the cause. Yeah may not necessarily agree with their tactics, but they agree with their principles. They agree with their, 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 their vision. So therefore here, here's some money. So they were able to do that. And then the numbers grew, what have you. So what happens is over time, the governments would deplete their resources financially, whatever. And then stop buying Saudi oil, stop, right. You cut them off. So they got nothing they can export. So there's no way to fund it. And so it just kind of peters out. So they're eating canned beans all the time and barely getting by. And next thing you know, people are like, yeah, to heck with this. I'm I'm done. I'm not, I want nothing else to do with these guys. Yeah. And which is a lot of what had happened with a lot of these people that came back to Canada that, you know, somebody decided to let back into Canada (laughs) 60 odd ISIS fighters. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. They said, well, I I lost the flare, the flame or the passion for, you know, for fighting for this cause. Can I go back to my country, please? And that's what happens when you you run out of those resources over there. You're starving to death. You and got exactly. nothing. And, you, and you're starting to disbelieve what you were told Originally to believe. believed. Exactly. Yeah. Then you, you realize that burning my passport was probably not a good idea. <laughs> right? <laughs> so. I, uh, I I think about it. I was listening to somebody. They were in Germany and uh, maybe it wasn't Germany. But anyways, they were talking about the perspective that that group of people had on what happened in world history. And obviously this is a, an American in another country. Mm-hmm. And I think about that like what Putin does, he's a he's a savage. He's a killer. He's a murderer. Yeah. But he's sort of doing it for a good reason. He wants Russia to be a prosperous, good country again. And what leader doesn't want that for his people, right? right. So much so that he's willing to kill people in his own country that right. are bringing down Russians. Right. And then he'll take over their business. And you know, is it made up? Is it not? I don't know. I don't know. But I get it. I get it. If I was head of Can- or the the leading Canada, mm-hmm. I'd want what's best for everybody in Canada. And right. How do we get that? And who do we have to step on to get there? Right. To make sure that we are we have everything that we can that, mm-hmm. that there's no starvation there's good jobs and yeah. everyone is living a good life that should be the goal of our leaders right and guys like putin have taken that to another level yeah. um you yeah. know i think as skewed as as hitler was i think that was his original goal and he was just psychotic about it and mm-hmm. i think the same thing's happening in um uh, in Korea mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, they, they wanted what was best and then it got kind of sideways. They don't know how to handle the power of the strength. Right. And so what is, what is our country doing for us? I know maybe letting these people in, it's going to be good for us. We know that immigration can be, um, um, really helpful to, mm-hmm. to countries financially mm-hmm. and, and fulfilling jobs and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, letting 60 ex ISIS terror, uh, terrorist or fighters in, right. um, is a little bit scary, yeah. you know, to, to know what they're 
ideological belief system is right. and what they were willing to do, you go, mm, I don't know. Is, are these 60 the right guys or right families to let into our country? That's the problem. And you have, um, there's, there's, there's two sides of the coin on two trains of thought on that. Yeah. You know, some people, they want to, you know, sort of side with optimism and have you, but that's such a vile ideology yeah. with, with, you know, ISIS and, and a complete takeover with through religion and what have you. It's, if it gets to that point where it's so intense, yeah. um, it, good luck changing that. Yeah. It's really hard, especially when it's indoctrination. So. We know people bring up like Switzerland and France and stuff like that was happening with the um, uh, Muslims over there. And, and how much of that is media? Like, is it 1% of them <coughs> that are the bad guys? Is it 2% or is it 20%? Honestly, we have no way of really knowing. There's, I've traveled over in those parts of the world and, and I've seen the communities. Yeah. And um, I believe media is, is not doing the world of justice. Mainstream media is really not doing, doing people, the listeners, you know, or the watchers justice by mentioning all these things that, oh, you know, yeah. they're, I mean, there's terrorist attacks happening. I mean, there is fundamentally, if you look at Islam as a, it's an ideology. It's not a religion. The Muslim faith is a faith, but Islam is an ideology and yeah. it encompasses not only the religion of, of, you know, a Muslim religion, um, but there's so much more to it than that. Yeah. There's a, there's a, um, political ideology behind it. There's, you know, social ideology behind it. There's, you name it. It's, it's a complete system of governing. Yeah. It's not just a religion, yeah. but they use religion as an excuse to do the things that they do. Right. Right. And, uh, that's why. As have people, most religions. At throughout time, right? <laughs> have done the exact same thing, right? Yeah. And I mean, and it's true. Like, I mean, we can go back to, you know, the early Roman Catholic days of, you know, during the Crusades, and we can say the same thing. And you know, Christians in Australia and Canada, everywhere, right? Everywhere. The Columbus Day, there was a bunch of Christians that That's did right. that. That's it's, right. it's nothing um, that anyone should be bragging about, nope. um, no, no whatsoever. But I think, you know, like I said about Putin, I think it, for the most cases, people are go at it with a good heart. Like they have, uh, we want these people to live a better life. So right. We want to help out. We want to grow ourselves. You know, I think they go into it and they just don't realize how hard it is to change somebody. Um, the only, you know, I think it was... Is it Tim Cameron? No, Jocko Willing says everything boils down to um, physical strength or the willingness to right. to put it out. That you know, he even talks about a speeding ticket. If you get a speeding ticket and decide you're not going to pay it, they're going to take away your driver's license. Right. They're going to try all these things until one day two guys are going to show up and they're going to throw you in the back of a car and then they're going to chuck you in a cage. Yeah. And then you're going to pay that debt one way or another. Right. And it all boils down to that physically, are you willing to fight the war? Right. Um, and when you're trying to change entire cultures or take over lands, it's, it just boils down to who's got the biggest guns. That's, that's, that's biggest, what it is. Most motivation. Right. Or who's most willing. Sometimes exactly. you have the biggest guns and you're just not willing to do it. That's but, right. Yeah. Um, if you've got the big guns and you're willing to do it, like a Putin, like the, um, I, I can't remember the, the leader's name in uh, Korea right now. Kim Jong-un? Um, Kim Jong-un. Jong yeah. Like, I don't know. He seems to have the big guns, but I don't know if he has the cojones to, to fire it off because I think the U.S. will just make that a big crater if he does. And I think I think that they're trying to, like I said, if you, you know, a lot of, love him or hate him, but I think Trump is trying to extend that olive branch to, 
people like him and saying, okay, we're, we're done name calling. Right. So now let's, <laughs> let's actually get together. Let's show that we're two physical people. Yeah. And, um, let's try to work it out. And then from my understanding, things are definitely on the up and up between the two countries. Well, and Trump seems to, that seems to be his superpower, right? Is that, uh, doesn't matter how, crazy he seems or the dumb decisions he makes people like him like you know he, he negotiates he yeah. makes deals yeah you know rather than sitting there and throwing daggers he's just sitting there going okay let's let's meet halfway in this yeah how can you not how can you not have success when you were raised you know as a kid to think that way right and that's how Trump was. He was raised to think that way. That's why he's been so successful. People right. say, oh, he's so successful, but he, you know, he's lost billions and billions and he's been bankrupt. I'm like, yeah. But he had it first. But, but he came back yeah. and did it again. Yeah. How many people do you know that is a billionaire, loses everything, goes down to rock bottom, nothing, yeah. and then goes right back to where he was again? How yeah. many people do you know do that? <laughs> Not many. Right. And he's he, in the 1% of the 1%, right? And he's done it several times. Yeah. So, you know, again, Trump, Trump is a very... Um, He's a very charismatic guy. Yeah. Um, I like him. I, some people see this podcast may say, "Oh, you're a moron." It's yeah. like, I, I I look beyond what the mainstream media say about him. Yeah. I listen to his words. People say, "Well, he doesn't articulate properly," or whatever. I said, "Actually, you know what? You know who he appeals to? Yeah, he appeals to the blue collar man." Yeah, that's what he's he's fighting for the blue the blue collar man because you know what and you know who has made his business a success. Exactly. The blue collar man. Yeah. If, if, if it wasn't for them yeah. building all those buildings that he's, that he's built, because that's his job, that's his, that's his Real business construction. Real estate Exactly. Yeah. He wouldn't be where he is. Right. He knew that. Yeah. He knows that. Well, and, you know, he's the, um, what's it called? The uh, real TV guy, right? Like the, why can't I think of the name? The um, uh, reality star. Reality TV yeah, star. Yeah, he. Yeah, he's. You're fired. That's that it. guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's a popularity contest, and he did what he needed to to win that popularity contest. Yeah. And once he got in there, you know, he is rough around the edges. And I don't think I agree with everything he says or does, or I don't think anyone should agree a hundred percent. That, uh, um, but that's not my job. You know, mm-hmm. whether I like him or don't like him, it doesn't really matter. He's on the other side of the border for right. me. You know, we look at our leaders, and and I can say I don't. I don't love a lot of what Justin Trudeau has done in our yeah. country, but uh, again, he's in. He's in here for four years, yeah. and I'll vote like I did last time, and yeah. and it won't be for Justin Trudeau. <laughs> no, I don't think um, it's, it's and, and that's our power. Yeah. One thing I had someone point out to me a long time ago, he was born and raised in India, and he became very successful over there, and he did it morally. And I said, what? Like, how does that happen? Most of the people in your country, in your area, were very poor. And he goes, you have to learn to work within the system, not changing the system. Right. There's definitely people out there that are designed to change the system. It's a hard up-road battle and good on them for doing it. Yeah. But he goes, if you want to be comfortable and successful, you work within the system and then stay within your morals. Mm-hmm. And he managed to do that in a country that it was difficult to do it in. Um, and I work on doing that here. Do I love what Justin Trudeau is doing? No. But how is it affecting to me uh, it's not really right now mm-hmm. personally me it's not affecting me you know i work on building the company that i work for i work on building all my little side things that i got going right. on and uh, my com- my family is comfortable and we're somewhat successful um and we're happy with that right whether justin trudeau is in power or not in power right. but then i hear him doing some stupid stuff and it still makes me angry <laughs> well, it's yeah it, it, that's the thing i mean he's uh, you know 
we're, we're both Canadians. We're born and raised Canadians. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we can sit here and, and think to ourselves, well, as long as it's not affecting me personally, you know, and a lot yeah. of people think that way, yeah. then I'm not going to get involved and I have nothing to say. The problem with that is um, it, it does affect every person in the country when he includes this carbon tax and what have you, which as far as I'm concerned and many, many people are concerned. It's just a, it's a money, it's a money scam. Yeah. It's, a, it's a big, it's a big fraudulent thing. I mean, I'm not against climate, I, I'm not denying climate change. I'm not a climate denier, but to suggest that humans created this problem, I, I do we contribute to it maybe a bit? Sure. But to the point where we're going to be paying, you know, as taxpayers, who knows how much, hundreds, billions of dollars yeah. in taxes because of something that is naturally occurring. Yeah. And uh, to me, I don't think that's fair. So I feel sorry for you and I feel sorry for my neighbors and whatever that we're subject to that. I'm looking at people who are struggling already, right. trying to make a living when they look at their bills for their, you know, heating bills, whatever, it, you know, it's blatant. It's right out there, you know, and your, your carbon tax is such and such money. And I just shut my eyes and shake my head and I go, like, I've heard it's as high as $150. Well, uh, depends. Yeah. I mean, it depends. And if you're running a, a home or if you're running a business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know, it, it, that's how they break it down. So uh, there, there's a lot of things that I don't like the, that he does. I, and to be very honest with you, and I'm, I am biased in that regard because I saw what his father has done yeah. to the country back in the late 60s, early 70s, although I was born in 68. But yeah. my father uh, was a politician. He ran for the Conservative Party back then. It was the... Progressive Conservative Party, but right. obviously it was rebranding. I don't know how long ago, but anyway. But uh, I just heard nothing but horrible things about Trudeau, Trudeau, Trudeau. And then yeah. as time progressed, and then we saw what he was all about, then now we look, you know, decades down the road at his son, who's basically carrying on where his father left off. Right. You know, and uh, it, it it just it just it, it it shocks me. It just I'm trying to figure out, you know, so many people that will still vote for. Justin Trudeau, having voted for his father. Right. And we're talking, you know, uh, baby boomers or what have you that would still, who have gone through all the nonsense with their dad, why on earth would you vote for his offspring? Do you think that's who voted for Trudeau? Because I, I was under the assumption that that he did a really good job of gathering up the um, the young people. The... Oh, he did. He did. But I'm just saying that those that of that generation that would still vote for Justin, yeah. even though... They knew what his dad did. They knew what his dad did. It's like the apple in the tree. Yeah. And we and you, we hear about these people, these elderly people that said, oh, no, he's so dreamy, he's very charismatic <laughs> and whatever, just like his dad was. It's like his father was a card-carrying communist. Yeah. You know, it's a fact. I yeah. mean, he had more ties with more communist organizations. But you're right. The biggest um, the biggest groups, I think, the, the biggest demographic groups were the millennials, were the, you know, the big union, big unions got right. involved with it because they were all bribed. That's just my opinion, but that's what I think. They were just bribed. Yeah. Um, the, there was the pot vote. You yeah. Know, oh, like, that got a lot of people on board. Of course it did. Yeah. But then, you know, you, <laughs> if you look at the reality of what happened, um, it, it was supposed to be carte blanche, right? Oh, we're going to, we're going to decriminalize marijuana. Right. And just go smoke your pot and it doesn't matter where you get it from. And you know, it doesn't matter where you smoke it. And yeah. It doesn't matter how much you smoke and sure you can drink. This, this was this preconceived notion that he put in everybody's head that voted for him on the pot vote. Right. But then reality kicked in. Yeah. Okay. It has you can't be. just make it 
decrim- no, you, you gotta you gotta you can't be driving smoking that stuff and there's now <laughs> machines that can now point out if you are or not i hadn't heard that or not yet i heard that the, the oh, test yeah. wasn't very good yet <clears throat> they, they they're making it okay they'll, they'll make it they'll, sure they'll they figure will. it out for sure well why not because yeah. then you can then you can you know then you can find people right which is again another money maker right, right. You have to go to a supply dealer. Not everybody can can be a supply dealer. There are certain licensing that you have to go, and of course, taxes that you'll have to pay on top of that. You can't smoke pod in around children or in public yeah. places. Well, like Airdrie, there's only one spot that you can do it, and it happens to be about 75 feet from a daycare. There <laughs> you go. That's the only spot that they've allowed it uh, in public. Yeah, so there's the reality of it all. Yeah. That's the reality of the pot vote, you know? Putting out something as big as that in a country as big as ours, it it, it would take you 20 years to pre-figure it out um, because there would be a 1,000 guys arguing it. So, you know, I, I'm in a company. Uh, my main job is managing for a spray foam insulation company, and there's a pastor in there, a social worker, um, uh, me, an ex-drywaller, and we built it up to a $7 million company. Lots of bumps and, and bruises along the way, um, but we did it. And I think that's sort of the mentality that people nowadays have is that you just got to go, you know, heads first into it and whatever happens happens and you dig yourself out of that you build yourself up here and you learn something new over here and then you know with pot is it the best way to do it maybe not but i think it was the only way we could do it right now and uh it's i'm not opposed to i think people should be able to do what they want to do we're allowed to skydive but we're not allowed to smoke pot that seems crazy Uh, right you can you can drive a car that you know can explode on impact but you're not allowed to have mushrooms like, are you kidding me? And, and that's the thing. I mean, you, you you can you can tear it all apart all day, but I mean, yeah. you could say the same thing about people smoking cigarettes. You could say the same thing about right. yeah. you know uh, drinking you know drinking alcohol. Yeah. Um, I personally don't care what a person does right. with their body if they want to drink booze or if they want to smoke cigarettes or whatever. You, you, go ahead and do it. If you want to smoke pot, just be responsible. Right. You know, it doesn't it doesn't affect me at all. And then you know and. People have, my friends have even said to me, it's like, well, <clears throat> you know, what do you think about the, you know, the, the, the pot, you know, legalization? And I'm like, I, I don't care because yeah. even when it wasn't legalized, people would still do it. Right. It's not going to, what's, how does that affect me? Right. You know? um, in fact, now that it has become legalized and now there are so many sanctions on it and regulations that it, it's almost, it's almost better yeah. because people are going to smoke it no matter what. They're going to smoke no matter what. Yeah. Legally or not, not legally, they're going to smoke no matter what. The ones that want to are going to. <clears throat> exactly. And there's nothing you're going to say or do about it. Yeah. Now that it's regulated, well, the rules are there for a reason. I think, I can't remember, I think it was in Portugal that they legalized all drugs at one time. And I'd only uh, listened to a small documentary on this or watched a documentary on this. And the benefit was that every drug was legal. So you want to do fentanyl, you want to do crack, you want to do heroin, it's all legal. Go ahead and do it. You can get it at a dispensary. All the money that they made on taxes got put into the medical system for uh, rehabilitation. Mm -hmm. And so they found that the amount of people that were actually getting sick from doing some of these drugs, like heroin, I don't know that there's a good amount to do. And I'm sure there's the 1% that can do it and Mm -hmm. have a functional job. You know, cracks, same thing. But overall, a lot of these drugs aren't good to do. And they found that that decreased the use in the country. Crime went down significantly, one, because it wasn't illegal anymore. So I don't know how they 
figured out those numbers. Um, but there was uh, medical systems in place to help these people out, where right now, there's or previous to it being uh, legalized, there wasn't a lot in right. place to help people out. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, we're adults. We, we shouldn't have our government making decisions for us on what we can and can't do in our everyday life, right. um, as long as it's not... <coughs> unsafe exactly as long as it's not going to affect somebody else's life i don't get how fentanyl is legal and uh mushrooms aren't Mm -hmm. and i'm not a drug user i'm not a drug guy um but i still like i don't get it like in the 60s and 70s did all kinds of tests on psilocybin and and lsd and how beneficial it was to uh military personnel Mm -hmm. how um how therapeutic it was under the right conditions no we're not going to do it anymore yeah what but you can have a, uh, a drug that'll kill you if it's bigger than the size of a grain of sand. Mm-hmm. That's fentanyl, right? And That's what right. is there, five people a day dying in Florida with fentanyl? If not more. Yeah, and it's it's legal. You just yeah. go ahead, ask your doctor, he'll give you some. Yeah. So to me, that stuff is kind of crazy where, you know, the the all-natural stuff is is illegal and the 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 bad stuff the fabricated, the fabricated stuff, stuff is, is all, horrible yeah, yeah. It's all the chemical made yeah. yeah it's all that's a whole new level it is it is but stuff, so. so that was the one thing we can say Justin Trudeau I think is a move in the right direction whether he did it well or not yeah. it was a move in the right direction yeah. I think for for a country as a whole they say he they say it would have it would have become legalized eventually by whoever yeah it, it it's they're saying the same thing in the states you have some states that are down there saying there are states that are allowed you know marijuana states they call them now you're right. allowed to there's a dozen of them i think out of the 52 yeah, yeah. i think eventually it's just all going to go that way it will eventually yeah. i think you, you can't stop something like that it's you know well and i heard a rumor so uh there's a i think his name is dr paul stamets he's a mycologist so he studies mushrooms right and uh he's moved to vancouver so mm-hmm. i've assumed that this is my conspiracy theory that he knows that psilocybin is going to be legalized in Canada and there's rumors of that happening anyways I think in Oregon right now they've legalized um, or they're on the verge of legalizing psilocybin and MDMA uh, right now for therapeutic use Mm -hmm. so your doctor can prescribe it you can you know go through a uh, therapy session on it and, right. and help you get better. They, we had a guy on the podcast here, I think it was our fifth or sixth podcast that runs these DMT camps here in Calgary. Oh, wow. It was so funny. And David, if you're listening, I'm sorry, but the, uh, before the show, we were like, is there anything you don't want to talk about? He's like, well, I don't want to go to jail. I'm like, okay, well, I don't know how this is going to go then. <laughs> and then as soon as we turned the mics on, he just went right into like, these yeah. are the camps that we do. And here's the address where you can get it. I'm like, yeah. dude, you're going to go to jail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, he hasn't yet. He's not. He's not in jail. So I'm guessing he's pretty low on the radar scale for RCMP in Canada. Once again, you know, the, the, the law has to look at everything mm-hmm. and say, okay, what's it? Is it worth it to us to get involved with something like this? You know, to arrest somebody on the premise that they've got this going on, or yeah. they're going to sit there and go, <clears throat> give it time, it'll be legalized eventually too, just like marijuana was. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I think the police have more important things to do than to deal I with. Totally agree. Things like that, like you said, a naturally grown, you know, herb or, or you can go pick them in a field in BC at any given point. They just naturally grow can, out there. You know, compare that, like you said, to fentanyl. Yeah. 
yeah, killing people left, right, and center. That's right. I heard a story about uh, marijuana in Florida and why it's going to take so long to become legalized down there because they use it to control the voters. So, like, 75% of the voters down there are um, African-American. Right. And uh, if you get caught with any amount of pot, you get jail time. Mm-hmm. Anyone that's done jail time can vote. And so almost every, the majority of the population are on the no vote list. Right. So the, the minority get control over the majority Correct. just through this one law around pot, uh, which is scary to think that that's what they're doing. That's that, sneaky. You would hope at this day and age we would have people with a better mindset than trying to control what the, the pop, a certain population wants. Like mm-hmm. to be that blatantly racist, it, it, it is... It's sad. It is. It just, it blows my mind. Like, how is that? Do you not listen to the internet? Do you not read a book? Do you not know how bad racism is? Mm -hmm. And then this is just part of their laws down here. That just adds gas to the fire. What other reason is there for that law? It's crazy to me. We got way off topic there. It's okay. It's all good. good. (laughs) We were talking about uh, your military service and you got out. What did you do after your military service? Well, yeah. Moved to Alberta. Um, Oil and gas? Uh, that eventually happened. Yeah. Like it does with <laughs> yeah, most everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I, my two sisters, I had two sisters that were living out here at the time. And, um, I was at, I was 23 years old. I'm at the cusp of, okay, I either move back East, right? Even further West. Yeah. And, uh, I talked to my two sisters that were living here. My, my younger sister moved out first and then my older sister probably about, I don't know, four or five months later. Yeah. Um, and um, I moved out. I, I really, to be very honest with you, I didn't even have really a plan in yeah. place. I didn't. Um, I drove across the country, <laughs> which is, I think is a lot of a lot of young guys yeah. th- uh, the same way. I don't know what my plan is. Yeah. I, I heard, you know, what, uh, there's a saying, I, I, if correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, you know, um, they just say head or go west young man or head west young man. That's <laughs> yeah. that was the saying from you know back east. You yeah. Know? And the reason of course being is the opportunity in the oil and gas industry, but that's not what I had in my mind. I was yeah. you know, I could care less about you know I, I couldn't care less about You didn't have a field in mind. You just I'm gonna head west. I'm just gonna happens. head west, hang out with my sisters and see what happens. Yeah. And then, and then I I get hooked up with a really eclectic group of guys, um musicians. Nice. Um you know Do you play? Yeah, so I'm a, yeah I'm a drummer. Okay. Yeah, I've drum for I actually have been playing drum as long, drums as long as I've been doing taekwondo. Oh wow. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and uh, I mean we were night owls. Yeah. So when I get you know hooked up with these interesting you know borderline vampire type of people, <laughs> and it is goth style you yeah. know whatever. I didn't. I so. can't imagine you being goth black. Uh, no, no, mascara. no. I wasn't. <laughs> okay. I was I was sort of like the misfit. <clears throat> you know, yeah. I was just sort of like the crooked finger in the hand type of thing. Yeah. But you uh, played the drums. You're welcome to come. Exactly. Yeah. yeah I was. I was. It was. A, there was a pretty. They were a pretty cool group of, of people that I was hanging cool. out with, and you know, they all had their own stories, and you know, pitfalls in life and whatever. And we all did. And you know, you you sort of you sort of migrate to you know you find each other type right. of thing, and you can rely on each other and discuss all your woes in life and type of thing. So it was it was a really cool group of people, and um. I had started doing Taekwondo again, as I said, once, yeah. I, once I left Ontario and then moved out here, I immediately looked for another Taekwondo studio, which I found one. And um, I, yeah, playing in a band, I played in an all original band. We did our own, cut an album, we did some touring. And, <laughs> an uh, album? What was the, what was yeah, the band name? The band called The Quickening. 
the quickening. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> it was, <clears throat> believe me, it was, <laughs> I look back now and yeah. I, mean, I was just shaking, I shake my head at some of the foolishness that we did, but it was, they were, they, it was great. Yeah. I mean, that was, you know, I've never played in an all original band before. So we were writing our own songs and yeah. partying galore and, you know, I was living, <laughs> living the dream type of thing. Um, but there was this thing and you might've heard about it. It's a necessity. It's called money. Yeah, and, you uh, need it. Yeah, gotta have, <laughs> gotta have. And my pockets were empty, so yeah. I ended up, you know, meeting some of these guys that were, uh, I, I guess, for lack of a better term, groupies. They loved our band, and they were brothers, you know, friends of the guys in the band, you know, because yeah. they're everybody's from out here, right? So, um, and they had these things called jobs, and <laughs> so they're looking at me losing weight, you know, and going, yeah. "You're great, well, you're starving good, to you're death. a good drummer, but you've got no food." And I'm like, "Your your 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 cabinets are bare, and I'm kitchen cabinets." I'm like, "Yeah, that's yeah. what happens." And they're like, "Well, hey, do you want a reason to get up in the morning other than to rehearse with the band?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure." So I ended up working as a stonemason. You know, I was making pretty good money, and um, but yeah, I've I've done odd jobs. Yeah. Um, but I was really focusing on trying to get my my own taekwondo club yeah. up and running. And uh, shortly after I got my black belt, I did open up my own club, and it expanded. What, what was the first one called? Tempest. Tempest. Tempest right. Martial Arts. Yeah. And you had like two, three hundred people coming there. Like it was big, right? I had about. I had about. After everything said and done, I had about five hundred students. Damn. Yeah. So it was pretty good. And I had forty-five black belts at that time. Unbelievable. In its heyday, like in its, yeah. you know, it, in, in, when it when it matured into what I wanted it to be. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and that sort of basically took over my life. The band thing sort of disintegrated. I sold my drums and whatever. <laughs> and I was, well, I had to make a decision, right? Right. It's either you're, you're going to make money doing this. And, but it, it was a long, hard go. I, I was working part-time as a bouncer at, uh, the Hard Rock Cafe when it was here in Calgary. And, uh, you know, again, living the life as a single guy and running a business and what have you. And then, yeah, yeah it, 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 things were, things were tough at first, but I made it, I made it work. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the Taekwondo club, I remember the story when I was uh, training with you, you were talking about, uh, the split and all that. I don't really need to get into that. Um, but going through something, uh, hard like that, like the split, the club dropping off to virtually nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it did all the way down to nothing that what, what gives you the desire to go back into it again? Like there was seven years ago, um, that we met right. six years ago that we met and you were, you were basically starting back at zero. I think there was maybe 15, 20 people in the Legion there. Right. And now you've grown it up into a big successful business again. Yeah. We, it was sort of, I guess it's, if you want to call it tradition, I wouldn't even really call it that. Now I would say back in the day, I called it a tradition to sort of relinquish control of your clubs to all your most dedicated black belts, which is what I did. Um, I had black belts that were teaching at different locations and, you know, they were being paid by the hour, but these are young people are coming up, young adults now that are, you know, very good at what they do. And at some point I had to sort of relinquish control and say, okay, this is your location. This is your club. This is your club. And they went ahead and they changed the name and everything like that. And they said, well, you know, you'll always still be our instructor, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, I appreciate that. Um, We ended up, um, I ended up opening an actual full-time facility um, based on the population of one club that I had remaining in Bennington. And um, we ended up leasing a building for three years. And that was probably the biggest uh, business mistake I ever made because I, unfortunately, I relied on the word of the parents to saying that, no matter where you go, we'll be there. Yeah. So we ended up moving out of a community hall into this massive 
big, huge bay. Yeah. Fully, full equipment, mats, uh, you know, daycare service for little kids upstairs. Wow. Yeah, it was the whole, we had a parent's lounge, full of lockers, the dream. pro shop, everything. Yeah. Had it all. And um, after about six months, when everybody's contracts were up, they say, we're not renewing because you're upping your rent, your rates. And I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> we talked about this. Well, we, th- this is the reason why yeah. I opened up this facility is because I wanted to make sure that all of our students are having the best possible training facility. Yeah. And I mean, our rates that went up weren't really anything significant yeah. at all. It's not like you doubled them and... Not at all. Yeah. Like $20 more a month. Yeah. I mean, we started at 60 and I said, let's go to 80, <laughs> you know, but the yeah. place is open six days a week. Yeah. Right. With unlimited, you miss this class, you can go to this class. Yeah. You know? um, I, I spoke with Brian Bird. I went down to his club at Champions funny Creek. Funny thing, I was actually talking with Brian Bird today to um, one of my Taekwondo students who... Um, who uh, got into jujitsu and she's actually looking for another club. And I just, I just talked to Brian Bird for about a half hour today. We went and uh, so the whole purpose of me going down there was trying to get him on the podcast, which I think is happening soon. Him and Hakeem uh, from USC are, are coming onto the podcast. Yeah. But I thought the only way, because I talked to him every other day and, you know, yeah. I think it's hard for people unless they know me to say, oh, yeah, yeah, we can come on there. Right. We'll help you out. We'll we'll be part of the show kind of thing. So I thought, well, I'll go down and do the two free classes or whatever, right. pay the 20 bucks for the class, and, and I'll just go roll with them and meet them, and it'll be good. And so we talked about it after the class at length. That's what we talked about most is like what is or how do you keep a successful class? Because he puts out these really high-end fighters mm-hmm. and relies a lot on faith that they're going to stay with him and under his name and right. help his business grow. Right. And there's all these models like Bang Muay Thai and the Gracies and, and some of them have figured it out and some of them have, you know, it just, it, the, 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 the faith wasn't, or, or the faith was there, but the, the, the people to help you weren't, right. weren't there. Right. And uh, he was talking about, he's in a new course and they're doing a business design for martial artists. I don't remember the name of the organization. I think he'll talk about it if he comes on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Because it's been a downfall of a lot of martial arts clubs that they just can't keep that that same level up for the whole time. So you have your heydays and then you drop off and you regrow. And, you know, if you have a kid's martial arts thing, that seems to be the biggest one that, you know, I know um, David Lee in Kelowna, that, that's how he kept his business alive. Right. Fighters don't keep your business alive. Tournament uh, fighter, no. that, that's not it. But no. to, to be able to have an after-school program and have a kid's program, well, that's the one that, that will grow and support your business. Yeah. And I don't think Champion Creeds has that. So I'm not sure how he's doing. I'm really interested to see what his thought process is on he, it. Brian's always had a really good business model. I mean, I've, like I said, I've I, I've done a little bit of work with him. I've rolled around in his group for a little while. Yeah. Um, and then my life dynamic changed once again. Yeah. Uh, but I've done seminars with him and with um, uh, his instructor. Um, Sheila, his wife. Uh, and Sheila, who's phenomenal. Yeah. Um, Highest level jiu-jitsu practitioner in Canada, I think. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, I think she's... Um, Second level black belt in yeah. jiu-jitsu, and, and there's no, for sure, no other women that are close to her. And I don't, I think she's the highest level black belt, period. Dangerous. Yeah. She is. I'd love yeah. to. I rolled with Hakeem and a bunch of his, like, he had one black belt there. The guy was like, I don't know, 60 or 65 years old, and uh, I probably outweighed him by 60 pounds. Yeah. It is so fun to be with someone that high level because yeah. everything that's in my measly little brain that comes to jiu-jitsu, <laughs> I tried, and it was nothing. And yeah. I definitely outpowered the guy. Like, I was yeah. stronger than him by a mile. Yeah. It's the game. Didn't matter. It's the game. Didn't matter. It's, it's a chess. Yeah. It's a chess game. Have it you really been is. doing more jiu-jitsu? I haven't. I haven't done it. I haven't rolled probably in about 
two years, three years. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, again, and like I said, life dynamic changes and things. I, I, yeah. if, if, if I could do nothing but martial arts and not have to worry about anything else in my life, yeah. um, I would probably do it. I mean, all my good friends, I mean, Dave Poxon, who actually trains with Champions Creed. Yeah. Uh, he fights for Champions Creed, actually. He, um, he got a hold of me about two months ago and says, Hey man, let's, let's roll. And I'm like, so do you know how old I am now? And he yeah. starts, you know, he's ha ha. And he goes, yeah. nah, you're only as old as you, whatever. And I said, I'm only as old as my spine breaks. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but he's a good motivator. And I think he's one of the last guys I rolled with, with, was with him. And he's, his game has improved incredible. Like yeah. he's such a, he's such a great jujitsu player, but an, an MMA guy. Yeah. Um, Dave had a really rough go. He had one fight. He got really roughed up pretty bad and he ended up, uh, cracking his ocular cavity or something of that nature, but didn't stop him. He came back and, uh, but he's, he's a higher end, you know, jujitsu guy now. And, yeah. uh, so he kind of motiv- motivates me. I'll probably throw the gi on again at some point, but I was, I was training my, st- I started my training, uh, with Alex Roque with Brazilian Jiu Jitsu right. Fight Club in Calgary. They were yeah. the original, uh, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu school. And I've always had a lot of respect for Sensei Alex and, uh, and, uh, it's so much fun. Like, that's what I think people don't get. And if I had time, that would be, you know, I have a full-time job plus uh, an apparel company trying to grow on a podcast. I'm trying to grow two kids that are in sports. Tell me about it. <laughs> where, where, <laughs> tell, where do you find time to... Me. That's my point. That's yeah. exactly it. I, and there was a point in my life when I was younger where I could do that. Right. You know, that I woke up and I breathe, sleep, drink, you know, martial arts. Yeah. And part of that was grappling and taekwondo and whatever i mean i was training at one point i trained for three years straight every day wow i got yeah i got yeah, together with friends of dream mine over over christmas <laughs> christmas day what, what are you doing i'm not eating turkey yeah you know yeah let's go roll let's get on the mats yeah. you know i used to i used to do that and people just thought it was nuts and i'm like well yeah i i, I have such a passion for it i love it yeah um but i knew that at some point you know things are going to slow down for me. Yeah. Wives, girlfriends, <clears throat> hopefully not both at the same time. <laughs> Make, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Making a living, you know, and, yeah. and that's, and that's the thing. And, and kids, my kids were my my children were, and still will, will always be my priority no matter yeah, what. And that once they, once they came into the picture, things really changed for me dramatically. I get flack all the time. They're like, why aren't you rolling? I'm like, I can take my daughter to track. Yeah. And honestly, I'd rather go run with her yeah. than roll with you. Yeah. Like, yeah. No, <laughs> if that's... she wants to train with me, I'm in yeah. 100%. Yeah. Or if Eric wants to play basketball, I'm in. Yeah. Like, let's just go do that. And, and that's because you're never going to have a chance to do that again. No. no. Right? You, there's no, there's no, it's priceless. Yeah. You can't put a dollar figure on that. You just can't. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you a difficult question. I ask lots of people this question because it's always curious to me why why people are driven so you know you had a a dad that was obviously very driven and that's some of your background but that's not true for a lot of people Mm -hmm. I didn't have really good mentorship growing up isn't to drive into business and finances and martial arts and stuff Mm -hmm. that but I still went down that path so what what was your drive what what made you want to go after the black belt to join the military to you know grow a business like those aren't things that normal people do right there's um you know, people just look for the safe, easy jobs most of the time. And, and not that there's anything wrong with that. Right. Uh, we need those people out there. But what drives you to go after these things hard? Well, <laughs> let's just say that um, I, I could have gone different directions. Yeah. I could have stayed in Nova Scotia and be a farmer's son. Yeah. I could have gone to university, get a degree in something. I'm not, I'm not putting down university. I'm not putting down, you know, post-secondary education. I've just seen a lot of where people ended up thinking 
bigger than what actually turned out to be. And I thought, I don't want to be like that. So. I got two guys that work for me that have their business degree, another guy that's a pilot, another right. guy that's a medic. So you know exactly and what I'm talking they, about. And they just don't have... Well, I shouldn't say they don't have. They have the drive. They're great people, mm-hmm. but their degrees did nothing for them. And right. I know lots of people, their degrees are awesome. Yep. But these guys, I got a friend that's got his um, philosophy degree. Mm-hmm. What the hell do you do with a philosophy degree? Cost him 120000 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. he's a garbage man. And nothing wrong with being a garbage yeah, man. It would be great back in the day of Plato but, and Socrates, but not right. nowadays. But exactly. The, the whole, as I said, it, it's when you're, when you're caught on a, on, on a farm in the middle of nowhere in you know, northeastern Nova Scotia, you're, again, everything's very limited. And I was alluding to that earlier in the podcast. And um, when you're sitting there knowing that there's so much more out there. I mean, imagine nowadays if somebody was living in that exact same condition with the amount of social media and, and what whatever is going on nowadays. I mean, imagine how enticing it would be for a young person knowing all these things. I had nothing. Yeah. I had books. Encyclopedia at best, right? That's it. <laughs> and, and outdated. You know, I'm sitting there, oh, that's pretty cool. 1978. You know, oh, yeah, Kung Fu. That's, you know, <laughs> the military. Oh, it's great. Yeah. Um, and again, I could go back to what I was saying about, well, it must be in my DNA. I'm not even, let's, let's not say that. It's just something after milking cows and, you know, cleaning up after pigs and chickens and horses and whatever, once in a while you just sort of go out on your patio and you look up in the stars, you know, and you say, well, it's such a vast, you know, this tiny little world in such a vast universe, there's got to be more to life than what I'm doing. See, I'm trying to figure out where, like, where that thought process comes from because mm-hmm. so many people don't have it. And you know, the people that I have on the podcast, um, they definitely have it. There, there's something where they go, yeah, there's something bigger. There's something better. We can do this. We can do more. Yeah. Right? There, there's, but that's not the general consensus. Yeah. Consensus. Yeah. If you set your mind to something that you find exciting, yeah, it, it doesn't if I set my mind to something that I feel exciting, you don't feel as exciting and that's, and that's fine. But I could walk out the door and say, I want to do this. Yeah. And do I have the means to do it? Do I have the finances to do it? Do I have the time to do it? I don't know, but I'm just going to go and do it and see what happens. Right. And what I find is if people don't take that step out the door yeah. and go for that thing, no matter how minuscule it is in somebody's mind, but how big it is in that person's mind and you, you, you achieve that. You go out there and you succeed at doing it or you don't succeed in doing it. Yeah. But the journey to get there to see if it could actually happen or not, yeah. there's your lesson. There's, right. there's the excitement. I mean, there's a lot of things that I've put my mind to that I wanted to do. There's yeah. a lot of things that I, objectives I wanted to reach. Even in my mind, sometimes I thought, it's far-fetched. I, <laughs> I'm never, I'm never going to. But the thing was is that there was nothing hindering me from trying. Right. Nothing. Nothing stopped me. The only thing that would stop me is my own mind. Right. And I had that defeatist attitude when I was younger. Yeah. You know, um, and then something just clicked in one day and just said, hey, you know what, man? Like, you're never going to know unless you try. Right. And when I get to that objective, like as I said before, it wasn't even the objective that I was looking for. It was the journey to get there and to see what happened along the way. Yeah in order for me to either get it or not get it. And even if I didn't get it, I learned so much about the journey, Yeah. on the journey, that I would adhere, take those skill sets, 
to the next to the next objective yeah right but if you don't try if i could teach my kids anything it's that mentality Mm -hmm. like honestly i don't care if you want to be a basket weaver be a basket weaver but just be the best one like really dig deep and go after that thing that you want to do whatever it is um uh it's funny as you're talking there's just some a very biblical principles that come up inside there. There's a statement that Christians say all the time is that uh, you don't know you can walk on water unless you step out of the boat, right? It's true. And and that's 100% true. And then knowing there's something bigger and greater out there that um, you can achieve. And then, this is funny, because I'm going to go from Christianity to Joe Rogan, but Mm -hmm. Joe Rogan says, we live in a time when you can do anything. Literally, you could go on and watch how to do surgery and then do that surgery, right? Like, you can see anything that you want nowadays you can learn anything it just takes a little bit of time um yeah like this this is the time to thrive right now it is if you have a desire to do something yeah do it it's the easiest it's it'll be the biggest mistake that you make if you don't try yeah like it just look we don't get out of this alive no we there's only so many you know so many beats and that's it and when it's done it's over yeah and you know when I was scuba diving down the Dominican Republic many years ago, and um, I was uh, just out of my out of coming out of a, a bad marriage, and um, I was uh, talking with this dive master that was down there, and super great guy. He was out of uh, the UK, and he had met a, a Dominican girl down there and got married to her after you know two or three years and had a child and whatever. But uh, he's you know he's he's a fixed item down there, and like this is that's his life is down there in Dominican yeah. and. As I'm sitting on this on this nice, beautiful, big Hobie cat that's driving us, you know, taking us out to the dive site, and I was just sitting there staring at the at the water, and uh, I remember his name was Ian, and he comes up to me, and on as the boat's you know jetting across the water, and I didn't tell him anything about you know what I'd been going through personally. Yeah, younger guy, and he just looks at me and he goes, <clears throat> he goes, you know what, you should just let it go. Because he said, because you know what, when you're dead, you're dead in a long time. Yeah, yeah. and I just went. <laughs> Wow. That like, is... Right? Yeah. And profound. Just, that was it. Yeah. Uh, an hour after that, you know, we do our dive. We're doing our surface interval to, you know, to decompress, you yeah. know, get in. I look at his eyes and they light right up and he points, you know, behind me type of thing. And I turn around, there's this 50 foot humpback whale. Damn. Literally like five feet from me. His eye was... <laughs> You know, and I'm just saying, you could hear, ball. it was huge. The, yeah. You could hear Ian just going, you know, underwater, oh, like this. Like he said, that was the most exciting thing. And then I, so what he had said to me on the way out to the dive site, plus this, you know, I, I look at this, you know, I'm a somewhat of a spiritual guy. And yeah. I look at some, something like a big whale like that is sort of like a, a sign. It's a sign. Like, yeah. it's just like, you know, no matter how bad you think it is, you know. There are great things in life, especially if you turn around and you see the huge humpback whale. Right. You know, that how insignificant is that little problem that's been, you're, uh, that doesn't you know, <clears throat> digging into the back of my mind? Like, it's so ridiculous what people get hung that's up right. on and caught up on, and exactly. really no one cares. No. Nope. Uh, Alonzo Bowden says uh, in one of his uh, comedy specials, he goes, You know who cares less about your problems than you do? Everybody. Everybody. Yeah, everybody. Else, That's true. Right? It is so true. It is. So, you know, if no one else cares, why are you putting so much effort into yeah. it? And I get it. Relationships go sideways and those are hard to get over. I've had some, you know, bad breakups in my day. Um, and, and they were, they were devastating to me mm-hmm. at the time, but I look back on them and I'm like, such a little thing, you yeah. know, you watch your child being born or, you know, the, yeah. the first time they fall in love, the, yeah. all that stuff is so much more exciting uh, than all the little stuff. Focusing that, uh, so much time and energy and, 
having your ego hurt. Yeah. All of that is just wasted time. Right. It's just a complete waste of time when you could have been putting that towards something so much more constructive. If you spent 10% of your negative thoughts on something good, keep the other 90%, but just spend 10% of them, imagine where your life would be. Exactly. When I was teaching uh, uh, self-defense, I would uh, tell people, like, if you just get 1% better yeah. every time you're in class, where will you be in 100 days? Like, mm-hmm. that's massive. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people ever realize that it really is that easy. It's just a little bit at a time. Towards right? everything. Yeah. 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 That's one thing that I've been thinking about a lot lately. I found that until I started really looking and measuring all the aspects of my life, my dog is freaking out. Sorry, everybody probably has to pee. We're <laughs> the kids are normally come down and let them out, but mm-hmm. I hope you can't hear them on the podcast, but probably can. Um, but if you're not concentrating in every area of your life, like I see UFC fighters and they're the top of their game. But everything else in their life has gone for crap. Like, you know, their business isn't good. Their mm-hmm. relationships aren't good. Breakups, jail time. They drink too much. But they're still the best fighters in the world, mm-hmm. right? Look at John Jones. Yeah. I find that you have to put effort into almost everything that you do all the time. It can't be, I'm just going to be the best fighter. I'm going to be the best. If you're the best dad, you don't go to work. If you don't go to work, you don't have a house. That's right. <laughs> right? There's yeah. all these things that you have to be incrementally working on all the time. Um, that, that That's the only way to get through life in a good way. Is mm-hmm. You have to be evaluating, and what am I going to do better here? That's right. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the last thing I want to bring up with you, we're, uh, how long are we? We're like an hour and 15 in, so we got lots of time. Sure. Um, Belize. Um, you've had a place down in Belize for a while and spent a fair amount of time down there. Mm-hmm. I've got, I think, three or four other friends that have bought properties down there mm-hmm. now. I haven't been yet. I've been talking to your real estate guy down there. Right. Or is it a girl? Jeff, Jeff Jackson. Jeff Jackson, yeah, yep. yeah. And uh, he's been sending me pictures and stuff like that. Um, I've got a friend that just recently bought in San Ignacio, San Ignacio. Yep. just outside the city. She's got a little acreage property. So I'm going to tell everybody, and this is probably going to screw me over. <laughs> she bought like a quarter acre lot, mm-hmm. and there's a river on the back of it. Right. Um, had an 800 square foot all exotic wood house put on stilts on the property Mm -hmm. and she's doing an in-ground pool Mm -hmm. 50 grand all in that's right um so tell me about your belize experience well um it goes back to hey we're guess what we're going to bring up the oil and gas thing so when you're making decent money you hear all these horror stories about these guys you know doing drugs and drinking themselves to death and Buying senseless toys and things that, you know, they'll throw a, a quad or a sled in the back of their, you know. Those are my favorite guys. Because yeah, when they're broke, they sell that stuff well, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> but it's just kind of like, you know, yeah. you're always working. Why you don't have time to, you know, head out to BC and right. flip your skidoo or your sled over your head type of thing and, you know, make a YouTube video. But um, <clears throat> but instead of me going that direction, I bought myself, myself a modest vehicle. Yeah. And, um, of course I had financial responsibilities with my kids and, you know, and, and what have you. So, um, I, I was laying in bed one night in a hotel in Saskatchewan and, um, after doing a, a shift at minus 55 or something <laughs> like that, it was crazy. And, um, just out of the blue as I'm watching TV, which I never do, I just, I don't watch TV. It's just not my thing. But, um, I, uh, I saw this ad come on yeah. for, you know hey, invest in Belize. So I thought, hmm, you know, that's interesting. And I said, it just dawned on me, you know, the light went off and I thought, well, I'm making okay money. Yeah. I'm not buying ridiculous 
toys, as they call not it. Not jacking up your F-150 because yeah, I don't have an F-150 <laughs> to jack up. So, you know, so um, I thought, you know, well, that's interesting. You know, if we get some downtime, you know, when I'm running the, the fluid pump, you know, yeah. and coil tubing, I thought, I'm going to look this up as long as there's internet. So, yeah. you know, sort of as a pastime, I was, you know, identifying some of these, you know, properties and for sale and whatever. And, you know, my partner's looking at me and goes, oh, you got to be careful. You know, you're going to get, you're going to get taken or whatever. And I, over time, I kept seeing this one property that kept popping up or property management company or a property you said they were selling lots. Yeah. It was Jeff Jackson's barefoot properties. So, okay. so I'm putting a plug in here for Jeff Jackson, even though he doesn't run that business anymore. He actually, that's, it's done because he sold all the lots, but lots still do come up and he still is involved with that. Okay. Like if something comes up, he'll put it out to all the owners and say, Hey, you know, tell your friends that we have a lot. In fact, my roommate actually bought the lot beside me about two years ago. Nice. So I looked at, these options and and uh i thought belize hmm. and i remember many years ago my wife at the time uh we talked about you know even before we had kids we thought hey wouldn't belize be pretty cool we actually went on a cruise yeah. and checked out belize which was one of the stops and i went diving and she went into the belize city and she wasn't really impressed so she had this idea in her head well it all looks like that so um but I didn't think that way. I thought, you know, it's a nice warm country. Uh, it's not an expensive country. It's English little, speaking, British in, colony. Exactly, right. Yeah. So um, so I researched more and more. And I and again, Barefoot kept coming up. Yeah. And uh, um, I ended up getting a hold of Jeff. Um, was quizzing him on the ins and outs of buying property down there. And again, I was still, you know, in the process of doing, doing my due diligence, I still, I was skeptic. We're talking about a third world country, which yeah. is considered nine a hour ride. flight away. Correct. Yeah. And if I'm just going to give him my hard earned dollars and then end up, right. you know, getting screwed over. So I ended up, um, I ended up talking to him for about a two week period and, uh, through emails and whatever. And there was two things that sold me on this whole thing was the fact that he said that um, he, 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 he wasn't being pushy about selling me a lot. Yeah. I bought a quarter acre down there for, it was $10,000 and it was, it was, yeah, it's right outside of the town of Corozal and um, <clears throat> which is in the Northern portion of Belize. Yeah. And uh, it's 10 miles from Chetamal, Mexico. So, yeah. Oh, that's right. Okay. I know yeah. It's that right on the border. Then. Yeah. Yeah. The Northern border. That was the only place that you could fly in back then, wasn't it? You had to fly to Mexico because there was no international airport. Well, back there then. was, there was, I think the Philip Goldstein, um, airport has been there for quite a long, long time, but a lot of people are flying to Cancun yeah, because it was cheaper to fly to Cancun Okay, and then drive four hours South across the border. Boom. You're in Belize. Yeah. So, but, uh, their pricing has improved dramatically in Belize for as far as flights go. Okay. In fact, I think WestJet flies there now direct oh, uh, out, cool. of, out of Toronto, I believe. Yeah. But anyway, um, so he said, Jeff, saying, look, he goes, I don't want to waste your time, and I'm not going to waste my time. He goes, if you don't feel you're into it, if you feel pressured, don't bother. That was the first thing. Yeah. So there was that pushy salesman thing, didn't exist. Out the window. Right. Yeah. And then I said, well, give me a little bit of background about who you are. And he goes, well, I'm, I'm a retired um, Air Force, U.S. Air Force sergeant. Mm. And, of course, me being ex-military, Military. I thought. I could trust this guy. How much do you want? <laughs> and that was it. How much? And he goes, 
you serious? I'm like, yeah. He goes, okay. He goes, that's all we, that's all we should have said for two weeks. He yeah. said, you know, so gave him the money down. And then he said, it's monthly payments after that. The process was simple. Yeah. And, uh, everything stamped, sealed and delivered. Bang. I've got this property down there. Um, I haven't built yet. I am in the process of, uh, doing this with my girlfriend. We're going to, we're, we're going to invest in that. We've got a few projects on the go. I was interested to, to note that you mentioned something about Amazon because uh, yeah, you may yeah. you may have heard of dropship, yep. dropship Mars. So we're getting involved with that as well. Yeah. So with her successes in her marketing that she does with resorts and golf resorts and hotel chains are all over the all over the place. Yeah. Plus what I do and she's involved with with DMA. Yeah. You know, helping teaching and helping whatever. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. So she's she's going to try to um, liquidate some things and get in into you know finances and whatever. But we will be eventually building that house in Belize. Nice. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a dream. It's a dream for me. I tell everybody, like my dream is to live in Belize, dirt floor hut, yep. fishing, picking yep. fruit, doing martial arts, yep. maybe having a podcast down there yep. if I can round up the guests. And it can be done. Oh, for sure. That's the thing. It can be done. I, it's when I, when I talk to people, I, when I go down there in that area, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm well known because I don't want to sound egotistical, but the people that have seen my face, yeah. I don't know how many how many times I've been there now, they, I walk in and oh hi hi Dana and I'm like you know hi, you know. Well, they're all small towns like the capital yeah. city is just a little bit bigger than Airdrie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Belize City is well, the capital city is Belmopan. Oh, I thought okay, so no, I thought Belize City no, is the capital. No, Belmopan okay. is the capital city. Um, Belize is the biggest city. It's the biggest city. Yeah, and yeah. it's like sixty eight thousand or seventy thousand yeah. people. There's only three hundred. I mean, around to 325,000 people living in Belize. Damn. And that's including expats, you know, Americans, Brits, Canadians, you know, whatever. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. But if you go across the border to Chetamal, Mexico, yeah. that city alone has the same population as the entire population <laughs> of Belize. Yeah. yeah. But, but plus they also have a, you know, Home Depot and Walmart and whatever, <laughs> which Belize... <laughs> I don't Doesn't. think I don't think they'll be seeing anything like that in no. the near or even distant future. So. Well, my my friend, um, she couldn't afford to live in Surrey. She had a car accident. Her disability didn't pay for her mortgage, so she rented out her house, um, and then eventually sold her house and took that money down to Belize. And she is the happiest she's ever been. She says she's a single girl. She'd be early forties, um, maybe mid forty. I think she's younger than me, mm-hmm. and she'll travel around San Ignacio. She yep. goes to Belize City all the time. She travels all over the place, and she said it's completely safe. Like Airdrie has bad areas, maybe not kill you bad areas, right? But every major city has bad areas. You'll good luck finding any city or country that's it's going to be one hundred percent safe. No, it's impossible. <laughs> exactly. um, there was a, there was an event that happened there about a year and a half ago, um, that, uh, some people were, um, it didn't work out well yeah. for them. They were, it was a mistaken identity thing you may have heard about in the papers, but it actually happened in, in the town where I'm, where I'm, where my property is. And, yeah. uh, it was pretty ugly. A couple were murdered, but you know, these things do happen. Yeah. But I mean, there's so many expats that are down there that you know, everybody knows everybody. In fact, everybody knows exactly who did it. And the person actually, uh, the, the person in question um, fled the country, um, and yeah. they have no idea where this person went. So it, it's 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 great to know that we who they are, but it's sad to know that the authorities are letting people like that leave the country, even though 
I understand the borders there aren't very strong, but it's no. there's no reason for them to be strong either. You know, yeah. Mexico is right above and definitely has its issues, oh, yeah. uh, drug cartels and, yeah. and stuff like that. But she's a single 40-year-old yeah. lady. She feels completely safe down there. Um, the price of living down there, she said, it's a little bit cheaper than Canada. Yeah. Uh, but to buy your property, to have houses built, that is yeah. crazy cheap down there. It, it's, it is. And the thing is, is that, and I was explaining this to my girlfriend, and you know, she's on the same page, that North America, we get so caught up in things, buying, purchasing things that we think we need. Right. But we need to replace the need, word need with want. Yeah. And uh, when you spend enough time down in places like Belize or, you know, Panama or Costa Rica, where you don't have access to these things, you're going to realize that the bare necessities are really all you can deal with. Right. You, you don't need to have... What we have here at our leisure, you don't need it down there. Yeah. There's no reason to have it. In fact, if you do have it, it's probably going to sit in your little shack somewhere in your garage and it's going to gather dust and it's going to yeah. depreciate and you're going to sit there and go, hmm. You know, there's so much to do Yeah. Um, in Belize. And, and again, like I said, I'm no expert on Belize, but I've spent a lot of time down there, uh, both on the mainland and on Ambergris Key, you know, Key Cocker, San Pedro area. I've been all the way down through into Toledo. I've been... Placencia, I've been to San Ignacio a hundred times. I've seen, you know, there's in Nanatinich, the the um, the ruins, yeah, um, which is literally a five miles from the Guatemalan border. Yeah, I mean, I can drive these places with my eyes closed now. Yeah, you know, I know exactly every where every road is. Um, but the story about the houses for fifty thousand dollars, true yeah. story. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of. That's on the lower end. You can there's a lot of um, companies down there that um, Mennonites who. Uh, have a, a separate community, yep. all of their own, in a place called Spanish Lookout. Okay. And uh, that's between um, Belize City and uh, just past Belmopan. Okay. On your way to San Ignacio. And um, they'll build you, a, 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 like I said, an 800-square-foot home, fully finished, inside, plumbing, electrical, the whole thing done for, yeah, about $50,000. She had... Um, <clears throat> Hers built, all exotic wood. It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. But she just had the shell built, and it was twelve grand. Mm-hmm. And then she did all the rest of the work herself. She good uh, for her. That's awesome. That's, yeah, that's fantastic. She's a go getter. So yeah. you know, yeah. buying a little bit of material, you know, hire an electrician herself, that kind of thing. <clears throat> and she's put it together. She did an outdoor kitchen on it. Good for her. The pictures are just outstanding. That's- that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm excited. I haven't gone yet. I'm thinking that um, uh, my wife can't get away with her. She's in a new job, so no vacations mm-hmm. for a little while. But my sister's talking about, hey, we should do something. We have a vacation together. Yep. And I'm like, maybe we should just fly Belize and just wander around and see what we can see down it's, there. It's so worth it. Like, yeah. I mean, there's so many places. People will tell you some, you know, again, talking about horror stories or places to go. And there are certain, there are definitely places that, you know, they recommend that you do not go to, but there's no reason to go there anyway, because right. there's nothing to see. Right. But that's, that's 2%, right. 1% of what Belize actually has to offer. I yeah. mean, if you look at some of the, the mountainous areas down there with, compared to, you know, Canmore Banff, it's obviously not as big, but I mean, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, you're talking lush jungle. There's cave tubing going on. There's underground springs. Yeah, I've seen pictures of that. That looks outstanding. You got to see it. Yeah. You got to see it with your own eyes. All right. I'm phoning my sister when we get off There's some, go down the Hummingbird Highway. It's just like rolling hills, rolling roads type of thing. And you go past these orange orchards and, you know, it's banana, banana orchard, banana plantations and everything. It's just beautiful. Yeah. Like it's just some of it's 
So is that your plan? You're going to retire down there, or is it always going to be partly in Canada, partly down there? At right now, it's so funny you're mentioning these. Things. You're bringing this stuff up because these are again serious questions and and, and conversations that I've had with with my girlfriend. But um, you know, we're very serious about what we want to do, where we want to go, type of thing. She's got two younger kids. I mean, she's even herself is willing to. Um, that the plan is actually next year is to go down there and rent a place in Corazal yeah. for about two months and let the, her boys um, just get a sort of Spend a taste the of summer it. And yeah, like I, I, I don't want to dive too much into her her past and, and what happened with her, but she she had an unfortunate uh, loss of her husband um, years ago when her oldest was, I believe, I think he was like four years old and oh, her wow. newborn was two. Yeah. And uh, their plan was actually to go to Belize, yeah. which is ironic. Yeah, yeah. Is, so when I heard about this, I, I was the one who brought up when, when I had met Michelle at Taekwondo yeah. and she joined on our club, um, I, we, we started, you know, just Hanging random out, conversation talking, yeah. and all of a sudden I brought up this thing, Belize, and she's like, wow. And I'm like, <laughs> so, you know, over the years, you know, we we came, became closer and yeah. this is where we're at now, but uh, she's willing to do that. She's willing to, you know, have her have her kids go down and try it out to see what happens and, and definitely a different lifestyle. So to answer your question, yes, in the long term, yeah. as I get older, older, yeah, maybe I'll probably, you make it like we're old now. We're not that old. No, well, I, I don't know. After <laughs> I think it. we're the same age. We're really close. Well, I'm, what are you? 46. Yeah, no, I got four years on you. Oh, do you? Yeah, okay. So I'm, yeah, well, I'm you've been four years is nothing at our <laughs> time. century, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but after the old, you know, the kidney issues, you know, I feel like I'm 65, so. Yeah. But I want to, yeah, I, I think long term, between now and whenever, eventually I'll probably end up moving down there on a permanent basis. Yeah. But I'm not going to put myself in the grave anytime soon. Right. I hope. Yeah. And, um, I want to be 90 and still be over. <laughs> yeah, that's my goal. Yeah, and that's, and that's, I think anybody, people like you and I who, you know, have that desire and the drive yeah. and you know, we have that, even an inkling of testosterone still left on us. We still <laughs> want to get out there but because it's about personal development, right? It is. Personal development is not something that has an expiry date or an end, end date to it. It's just, it's an ongoing thing. That's it. That's who, who we're designed to be. Correct. We're, exactly. it, we're always going to go after That's the right. next better thing. So that being said, yeah. I, in the, in the short term, I, I can see myself being back and forth. Yeah. I've, I've built DMA to a point, or should I say everybody who's been on board, with DMA, I'm, I'm not going to take the credit 100. Yeah. percent um, You have lots of good people with I've you. I've got, I have the best people that are helping grow DMA. We're a nonprofit society now. Yeah. We're going to be getting funding. We're going to get our own facility. That's that's the plan, awesome. and it can be done. Yeah. And it can be done. Well, obviously, and the Alberta government will help us with that through yeah. ALGC. But but the plan is is to have our own facility, keep the schools going, uh, and the one in Calgary and Airdrie. And uh, my plan is to you know, from time to time, back and forth, teach seminars, you know, teach just black belts, you know, but I want the, the second generation and the third generation of black belts to shine. Right. And I want them to take the reins yeah. and go for it. You know, would you, uh, would you do DMA in Belize? I, I would. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, if, yeah, sure. I mean, if, if there's somebody, what else are you going to do? You can only pick fruit for so long. Well, it's true. That's true. <laughs> I can only eat so much too. Yeah. But that, it's, uh, but again, there's so much to see in Belize. But it, it, like you said, like here we we have everything. Everything's right there, the palm of our hands. Right. You know, right there at our leisure, we can do whatever we want to do to keep ourselves entertained. 
you have to switch your mindset when you're moving to a third world country or places like that where you can't go skiing. Yeah. You know, you can't play hockey. You can play floor hockey. But you, you know, so we adapt to our environment, which is what we've done in Canada down there. It's like, okay, well, you know, but the beauty You're is... You're not going to have people spending $100 a month to come do DMA down Absolutely there. not. Right. It's impossible. Yeah. It's impossible. We're going to be... I years a few years ago, I was down there actually with my roommate um, Kevin, and uh, we were doing some taekwondo on one of the small um, uh, little parks within the town of Corozal. Yeah, we had our uniforms with us, and we were kicking paddles. And this this gentleman and his son actually showed up, and they were from Cuba. Yeah, and uh, they had more or less defected, I guess if you want to call it that. Somehow escaped from Cuba and came to Belize, and. And um, they came back and they were kicking with us and whatever. And the nice. father was like, when are you moving here? <laughs> you know? And <laughs> I know. But in the town of Corozal, there was actually a, a karate studio uh, not too far from where, where we were training. And I actually introduced myself to the guy. He's a super great guy. I mean, he was very, very good at what he does. But I'm looking at, and again, I'm not comparing the way we do things here to the way they do things down there. I lied. I am comparing because this is what I know, but I don't know this. Yeah. Right. I know how things are here, but I now I'm seeing why it's running that way down there. That's right. Yeah. So I would try to find that happy medium of starting something down there without insulting, you know, local guys. Exactly. And saying, look, I'm not here to take away from your livelihood. Right. But in, in places like Belize, um, a lot of sports organizations, or sports, if you want to call them martial arts sports, whatever yeah. you want to call it, it's more of a pastime. It's okay. a hobby, even more so down there than it is in places like this. Yeah, just because people don't have the money to fulfill bigger, they probably things. don't see the the benefits, right? Like you're not going to get a pro MMA fighter out of Belize no. until they understand there can be a pro MMA fighter out of Belize. And then when you do that. You're you're going to be sent somewhere else, right? You know, they'll find the. There won't be good enough training down no, there. They're going to send you to Florida. Yeah, right. They'll you'll be rolling with the Machados or something like that, yeah. or the Gracies. You know, that's that's what's going to end up happening. That's you right. Know, if you can come up with the funding, so you saw you see these small groups doing this, and uh, and again, I'd rather work with these organizations or this these clubs. Yeah, because it only makes sense if I can start something small down there, a DMA club, which is exactly what everybody thinks I'm going to do. And I would do it. I would do it tomorrow, you know. Yeah. Um, I'd like to have a good working relationship with the local people down there. Right. You know, and just help them organize events. Not saying that they can't. I'm sure they can without any doubt. But be a part of that martial art community down there. Yeah. And that's it. I wonder how tight all the other clubs are to each other down there. Because I'm just imagining, like, if you go to some of these third world countries, they're actually kind of... um, they're back in time from us. They're yep. just not in the same spot. And you go back to old China or Japan and the way they ran martial arts companies, they all, uh, or country, companies was they all knew each other, but they all competed with each other. It's and the if same you, down there. Yeah, it's that's what way. I'm thinking is that you would, <clears throat> you would have a different style of competition where DMA doesn't really have competitors up here. Like you guys do tournaments and stuff like mm-hmm. that, but it's not that same old school rivalry, that's right. honor, that kind of thing, that's right. right? This yeah. is a bunch of kids that are having a lot of fun that's kicking it. each other. Exactly. And, yeah. You know, they, there is, there is a, there is a, I, I follow a lot of these clubs on Facebook, you know, and, and uh, there is a, there, there is a, a, a community down there of people that are supporting each other's events and cross yeah. cross training. And so, you know, if I come in and I say, Hey, I want to do some ground fighting with you, whatever, 
it, I guarantee it won't be the first time they saw it. Yeah. Because there are other people that like me that come in and do it, and they're like, yeah, absolutely. The door's wide open. Come on in. Yeah. My friend in San Ignacio <coughs> said there's a, a BJJ club down there. Oh, I, I have no doubt there yeah. is now, for yeah. sure. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Well, you know what, Dana? This has been awesome. Thank you for coming on the it. show. Hey, thanks for having me, I'm not trying to cut you off short or anything, but uh, we'll definitely want to have you back and uh, talk some more maybe after your next big tournament and yeah. maybe bring in a black belt and uh, we'll talk to one of the Parrot Brothers. That'd be great. Um, yeah. uh, what do I got to say? What do, what do we have left? Uh, everyone, thanks for listening. Uh, Dana, thanks again for coming out. Thanks, I'll Jen. put all of your social media stuff. We'll link it to the podcast sure. and I'll let you know. I think it's coming out. This one will be coming out next Thursday. Okay. Um, so again, everybody, Thank you so much. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. And we'll see you all on the next show. Now I just got to figure out how to shut this all down without breaking anything. There we go.